0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, December 25th, 2016. The share ID for Friday, December 23rd, is 9383. That's 9383. This morning, A Vision for You presents Came, Came to, Came to Believe. The 12 steps as outlined in the big book, represent a process resulting in a spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. We submit to a simple process that is not easy, yet takes us to a place we've never been. We didn't even know it existed. We are taken from the dark, sick, and shadowy world of addiction to the light of recovery we are changed in the way we think the way we feel and especially the way we behave the sunlight of the spirit deep down inside us is allowed to shine up and through us here to share her story of transformation this morning is Marie V a recovered compulsive overeater from California Marie is dedicated to the 12-step way of life And to carrying the message
1: of recovery. Welcome to the line, Marie. Marie, star one to unmute. Good morning, Lea, and good morning to everybody on the line. I am Marie V. I
2: am a recovered compulsive eater in Southern California. Um, I'd like to take this moment to pause, call my creator in, and ask him to put the right words in my mouth that I may carry the message of recovery to those that need to hear the message and to all those that don't need to hear it. Anyway, I was born in Fresno, California, of migrant farm worker parents in the fields of the San Joaquin Valley, just after the Depression. Since food was scarce, I was breastfed for a very long time. My mother once told me that once I got her breast in my mouth, I would not let go. And uh, being that I was pretty old, uh, my teeth would cut into her mouth, into her nipples, excuse me. Once I got that information as an older person, I realized that I have had this disease for a long, long time. Because that's that's the story of my overeating. I never had enough, no matter what I put in my mouth, it was never enough. I was brought up by two people that were very, very sick. It took me a long time to see that they were very sick people. They meant well, they did well by me, but I was so resentful of their treatment of me that I couldn't see the good in them. My father was an alcoholic. He was down for the count for many, many years before he got up in Alcoholics Anonymous. He was one of those that would get drunk and his personality would change completely. He would turn into this... Beast, all he would do was beat us up. The last beating I got from him, I was 22 years old. I had an engagement ring on my finger. And, you know, I was brought up under the lash of fear from a belt beating. Occasionally, I would get that slap, he had these huge hands, huge fingers, and a slap from him, he was so strong, would knock me to the ground. To this day, I do not know what I did that was so wrong. I lived under that warning that you, wherever we go, remember I'm watching you. If you ever see my hand go up and I start shaking it at you, watch out. You know that you're going to get it when you get home. So I was always on the alert. no matter where we went. I couldn't have a happy time. I was always watching for that hand. Never failed. It always went up. And to this day, I don't know what it is that I did so wrong. You also forewarned me all the time when I left for
1: school. Don't you ever let me get a bad report for bad behavior because I will hit you to correct you. And then there was that other part, that part that said,
2: if you see this and you say it's white and I tell you it's black, for you, was always going to be black. And I didn't understand all of this. I grew up in confusion. And then there was that other side of him, that kind, that loving side that explained everything, that told me good things, that told me how smart I was, that I was going to be the person to graduate in the whole Rodriguez family to graduate from high school, to graduate from college. I was sent to a... A girls' academy, you know that was college preparatory, I was given private piano lessons, and I was the achiever and i was and I was smart, and you were going to do I was going to do this, and I was going to do that, and I was going to make family proud and yeah, I learned all these things, and I did all these things, and yeah, I was smart, but i couldn't achieve because I lived in fear. My mother, on the other hand, had mental problems. She had her own bag of garbage that she brought from her family where her mother tried to kill her. And she didn't know how to love, how to nurture me. So I was—I grew up feeling unloved by my mother, spurned. At the age of four, I was separated from her because she was she was sent to an institution. You know, I don't know for how long she was gone. I know that she came back. The part that I regret is that she, while well, she was institutionalized, I had to live with my grandmother, and she had an unmarried son and uncle. You know that molested me, and the molestations continued from the age of four, different episodes up to the age of ten. Now I'm really confused. Nobody t- I told nobody that I know of. No explanation, no confusion. I didn't know where my mother went, what happened, you know, why I had to live there, why that happened to me. And I took all of that into myself. Because everybody in the family used to call me a bingo. A bingo in Spanish is a demonic child. So I grew up feeling bad. There was no God. I had found that out when I made my first Holy Communion. I didn't tell one sin. And when God didn't strike me right then and there, I
1: knew there was no God,
2: you know. So God was out of my life. I was bad. If there was a God, I was doomed to go to hell anyway. Everybody called me a bingo, that demonic child. I kept getting these
1: beatings
2: for something I don't know that was supposedly bad. And what was my solution to all that confusion, and
1: frustration, that Depressed, suppressed anger, food—all I could get. It didn't take away the pain, but it
2: quieted it, It steals my insight. I learned from my father, and I'm not blaming him. I learned that he. Was a powerful one. He was the dominant one. And to be dominant and be powerful, you have to strike first. You have to dominate the situation. You listen
1: to nobody, you do what you think is best. So I became a tyrant.
2: From my mother, I learned that if you're quiet and still, if you say nothing, you get it anyway. So I learned to be loud, to be heard, to yell, to scream, to hit. Don't stand there like a dummy and an entity. Fight. Fight with all you've got. And if you can't fight physically, fight mentally.
1: Resist. Rebel. Do your own thing. By the time I was 14, I was, well, pretty well off into obesity. And you know, I've got
2: to tell you, I hear a lot of people talk about that people, that your fellow students, uh, make fun of you because you're fat. That's not my experience. I, my classmate, my classmates, uh, group was made up of 16 girls. We went through high school, 16 of us and we graduated together and I have to tell you, I was always included,
1: they never rejected me. So what was the problem? It was me, I couldn't stand me, I couldn't stand who I
2: was. I felt different, I was no good. If I were any good, the things that happened to me, the beatings, the station that wouldn't have happened to me if I were good. I took all of those negative feelings, took them in upon myself, and I started reacting negatively because of them. So who was the problem? Was it my uncle? Was it my dad? Was it my mother? Was it my friends at school? The problem was me, my reaction, my thinking, my behavior. By then, my thinking was already twisted. My perception was already warped. I was afraid to get close to anybody. I didn't want to be close to anybody. At the same time, I hungered. I craved companionship. By the time we graduated from high school, all the girls were getting married. A couple of them, a couple of them entered the convents. You know, was by and large everybody. By the time we left high school, they were engaged to be married. They had these beautiful rocks on their fingers. You know, engaged to be married,
3: and I had no
2: one. I had no one, no one that liked me. Why? I come to find out many years later. Because I liked no one. Because I couldn't reach out. Because I couldn't take a chance. I was afraid to be rejected. You see, I saw myself
1: as brown, round, and ugly. And so... Finally, I was living under about to know, be about 22.
2: All my classmates were married; they had
1: children. I got this last beating from my father, and I was sitting at this place, this fast food place, was. A
2: favorite hangout in our community and uh, my mother, my sister and I was sitting there and I was feeding my face as usual eating hot dogs and french fries and uh, along comes this innocent man who turned out to be not so
1: innocent and uh, he asked me if I'd seen this dog well he was he lived down in the neighborhood
2: a couple of blocks from us. And uh, I said, no, is your little dog quieting missing?" He said, yeah. And uh, that was an introduction. And somehow I knew he was interested. It was not my idea of Prince
1: Charming, Bargerman. And uh, I've got to tell you, that was 56 years ago,
2: and I'm still married to him. We're very bad companions in some ways. We're both very addictive personalities. We uh, were eating buddies. We were drinking buddies. We were gambling buddies. We've done everything together. We've enjoyed it. We've, we've uh, had narrow escapes but we remain together. And I will say it till the day I die that God knows what he does in his merciful kindness. He knows what he does. I would not have made this choice. It is a good thing God made it for me.
1: Now, let's go back again a little bit. Um, Oh, my God. I to get to recover recovery. Okay, so I came to OA in 1967. I've been going
2: to Al-Anon. Uh, in 1967, I uh, came to OA because someone in Al-Anon told me about OA. And I uh, knew I was home. I heard it, I heard the words compulsive overeater, and I knew immediately this is what I am. I had been. I was 29 years old. I had two children. I had abused them miserably. I behind alcohol, behind amphetamines, behind sugar, and anything else I could get my hold my hands on. I ate. I ate myself sick night after night after night. I did so much I'd pass out. I was so sick. Come to, sick, begging God, whatever God there was, I didn't believe in God, whatever God there was, I beg, I scream, help me, please, let me get rid of it this way or the other way, you know, but I need some relief, help me, pass out again, come to and start it all over again. Sheer sure, insanity! I couldn't have sex without my with my husband without eating candy throughout the you ordeal. Know. You talk about insanity! I couldn't, I didn't think, I couldn't think of a second step in relation to me. But like, what is it but insanity when you're eating, passing out, coming to, and eating again, and you're sipping on a dog and you can't squeeze it and you can't
1: regurgitate, you know? What is it with
2: insanity when you can't have a normal sex relationship because you've had, uh, because you've been sexually molested and you're afraid of sex? Because you think of it as something dirty and evil, and you have to take candy bars to bed with you. Sheer insanity. What is it when you have to beat your children when they're tiny and small and they're looking at you with terror in their eyes and they don't know what to do and I know that experience because I was there. How do you get rid of all that stuff It's preying on your conscience and you hate yourself because you don't want to do it anymore? You don't want to do it at all.
1: And you can't help it. You don't know what else to do. And then one day, the answer comes. There must be a God. Because He hears the cries of your soul.
2: And He sends somebody to tell you about this miraculous program.
1: Oh, hey. Oh, years!
2: I got absent for seven years. I followed the food plan in 1967. I was 215 pounds, and I got down to 134 pounds. But there wasn't a big deal like the big book years in a vision for
1: you." The inventory was in a big deal, I it is now. I got sober, and this is a very special occasion to me because
2: yesterday I celebrated 42 years of back-to-back sobriety and Alcoholics Anonymous. I met a sponsor, I found a sponsor, or a sponsor
1: found me that was over 25 years, and he was a big book thumper, and he started me
2: into the big book right away, and everything that you're giving me in a vision for you, I have
1: been through before. Now, with simpleness of purpose, I'll return to my food problem. Um, in 2003,
2: the same woman that brought me to my first AA meeting brought me to another 12-step program for food. And that's where I got abstinent. And the closest thing to recovery I've ever known. I have been abstinent and in recovery since 2003,
1: in June of 2003. About 2010, we went through, my husband and I went through some terrible financial problems. I had to file bankruptcy. My home was foreclosed on. My my beloved sponsor died. And I was forced to come out to live in the da- desert.
2: I, who had lived in the valley
1: all of my life,
2: I had to leave my familiar meetings that consisted of 30, 40
1: people came out here for nothing. And I thought, I'm dead. I'm going to die. I have no meetings. You
2: know. Well, there was two, two, two meetings, three meetings, excuse me. One consisted of 10 people. One was good. Then there was two meetings, two other meetings.
1: It consisted of about two, three. I was the third person. Recovery, none. My friend Mary B. that I had known from the early days
2: of OA told me about a vision for you. And you have been my salvation. You took me back to what I had been missing. The food was starting to look awfully good again. And you took me back to the big book. You brought me back to life. There is nothing like the big book. Everything in my life has been about the big book. The reason I have a life today is because of the 12 steps that outlined in the big book. He says in there that once we overcome the spiritual malady, we straighten out mentally and physically. And I have learned that to be true for myself. He talks about this is an experience we must not miss. What experience? The experience of recovery. And what is recovery for me? It's not only physical, it's mental, emotional, spiritual, no more outbursts of anger, no more mental conflict, freedom, joy, happiness, watching, giving, giving to another person, watching them get the light in their eyes, watch them give it to somebody else and watch them pass it on and pass it on and pass it on, and I know that there's God working in me and through me. Oh, what a joy. I was looking for highs, I was, I was empty and lonely. How can I be empty and lonely today when I have been blessed with the gift of recovery? And the gift of recovery is to give it to somebody else so they can give it to somebody else. There's no more emptiness. There's no more loneliness. There's love in my heart. Today I know how to love. Today I care. I will not baby anybody. I was given this program the hard way. I was given this program by a book number that was a hardcore alcoholic that got hardcore somebody. And we talk about that this is the hard way. It's not. Doing the 12 steps is the easier, softer way. Knocking my butt out on the street, you know. Knocking my butt out night after night. Trying to find that manageable food that's going to do it. That is hard work. I was so sick and tired. I was so badly mangled. And who did it? I did it. I did it. Until I found a way out, I came to all right and I came to believe. Today I have a relationship with my higher power. Every day I start my day with that power. How did I find it? One day I was mopping my floor. He revealed my himself to me. I realized, He, I had been absent for some time. I had been absent for the longest period ever. I had lost weight and kept it off for the longest period ever.
1: I said, oh, my God, you are, you are, you are real. And that's how I came to believe. And the last phase of this is I have come to know I have come to know
2: who I am. Some people say they're just another Bozo on the bus. I'm not a clown. I'm not another Bozo on the bus. I am a very sick person that by the grace of God, He is restoring me to sanity a day at a time. I cannot walk without Him.
1: For without Him, I have nothing. I am nothing. A day at a time, I am the person he wants me to be. I have a picture of me when I was a year and a half old. And it's a
2: beautiful child with sparkling eyes,
1: not a wrinkle in her skin, black curly hair. Very, very cute child, pure and unadulterated.
2: And through my access to my addictions, I turned that beautiful child, God's creation, into something
1: ugly. Sort of like the picture of Dorian Gray. I like to believe that because of the 12
2: steps, of recovery as outlined in the book. This old wrinkled lady is beginning to look a little bit like that child God created. I thank you very much for listening. And I know nobody can tell me that you cannot recover. I know firsthand. Recovery is there if you truly want it. And if we really truly willing to work at the steps. I work at the steps daily. I read and write daily. I have a sponsor. I call a sponsor daily. I commit my food because because I need the accountability. I read and write because I need the discipline in my program. I need to remain honest. That's why I do those things. I'm a good liar. I lie very well to myself. So
1: I hope that my message has carried well. And I hope that you receive it with your heart, not with your head. Thank so
0: you. Thank you subject. very much Marie for sharing this compelling story powerful story of transformation. Thank you for your riveting account of your rebirth through the 12 steps. Very much appreciated this morning. Marie's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so you can stay tuned for that. And we'll now open the line up for questions. If you have a question for Marie, you can press star one to unmute and announce yourself, please. Jamie W.
2: San Diego. And Eugene, Oregon.
4: Vinga P., Minnesota.
0: Vinga, I have you. Okay, the other names I need repeated. I'm sorry. Jamie W. San Diego. Who's in San Diego?
1: Jamie W.
0: Junie, is that correct? Jamie W. Jamie, now I have that. Thanks for your patience. And there was another voice.
1: Mary Lee R. Hi, Mary
0: Lee. Thank you. Anyone else?
1: Okay, so let's begin with Mary Lee, please. Mary Lee, star one to unmute. Good morning. Thank you.
2: Thank you, um, Marie, for your story of transformation. Um, I, too, was born in the San Joaquin Valley and uh, have very similar um, experiences and different, too. Thank you also for sharing um, what you do um, and how you do it. And my question is, um, your husband of 52 years, is he in a 12-step
1: program also. Thank you. Yes, he is. Thanks. Thank you, Mary Lee. Jamie W.
4: Thank you, Marie, for your story. I can relate on a lot of levels. Not the same level of physical abuse, but on some level. Did you find that it was a generation of um people I'm talking about your parents where they came from that abuse, and then it um came to you because of that as one question and May I ask another question after that, or go ahead, my other question, when did you start sponsoring, and what was your experience
2: um I started sponsoring right away because there was no rule on it on the time at the time you know it was thirty days and you can start sponsoring and uh uh so I did you know and uh it sponsoring has always been something that's been uh i don't know it just uh, i i don't mean to make light of it, but it's uh something that's always come very easy to me. I guess it's because I have the experience and the the strength and the hope, you know, to to share. I know my past very well, and I know what I've done to overcome it. And it comes very easy to me because I know what another sick person needs, and I know also what uh, my sponsors have have given me, you know. They've given me compassion, they've given me understanding, not treated me over kindly because that will kill me,
1: but um, they've given me the truth. Does that answer your question? Yes, it did. And about the abuse, I want to make a comment on that.
2: Oh, what about the abuse? You asked something I forgot already.
1: Um,
4: my experience is that my parents were horribly abused, both parents, um, my mom and my stepdad who raised me, and I was the, with with the belt. Um, did you find that your parents had that experience, that they carried it forward, yeah. is it? Yes, my
2: father, my father was severely abused. Uh, he, his father died when he was very young, so he had he became the head of the family at about age 14, and he had three brothers to raise, so his mother abused him terribly, and he had several big scars on his face from where he had been abused, and my mother had terrible um, incidents, too, and... Uh, she related a story where her mother, my mother had very long, being an Indian woman, she had very long, beautiful straight hair. And her mother tried to strangle her with her own hair. Yeah, they, they definitely were victims of abuse. it goes on, and uh, I, I abused,
0: especially my older son. Thank you for your question, Jamie W. Vinga P., please. Hi, good morning.
4: Thank you, Leah. And thank you, Marie. Um, (laughs) I'm so grateful for hearing your story, the opportunity to hear your story this morning. I understand you did suffer a lot of um challenges and hard times early in your life and then after you and your husband were married, and then when you um had to file bankruptcy and um uh you lost your sponsor and you had to move during that time um you went you transitioned from having a meeting or having a fellowship and a meeting to um, almost nothing. How, and did you maintain your absence during that time? And, and what, what what steps did you take to until you got to vision for you to stay sober and to continue in your recovery? Thank you.
2: Okay. What I did was I kept uh, a phone network with people that were part of the meetings I went to uh, before I moved. Uh, there was phone bridge meetings, uh, from the other group, the other 12-step, uh, food group. I listened to those, uh, I had connections with, uh, the people I sponsored and, uh, I continued to, uh, call and sponsor myself and I continued to read and write. And I continued to work up here. And people here were not, uh, they didn't
1: take keenly to my message of recovery. So they they kind of started dropping out. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Vinga. Who else has questions for Marie this morning? Star one to unmute. Sarah Rachel w. w Sarah W jenny S uh, Ra- Rachel W Rachel W Riska A. Jenny S. Jenny S Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Um who else came in? I'm sorry. Riska A Riska A. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Was there a Sarah, or am I imagining that? There was a Sarah, Leah. Thank you.
3: Okay, excellent. Let's start with you, Sarah. Thank you so much, Leah, for your service, as always. Uh, Good morning, Sarah W. Grateful, Recovered, Compulsive Overeater. Thank you so much, Marie. Uh, Your story is very similar to mine, and I really appreciate you sharing so openly and honestly. Um, Because I've had issues, although I really feel like I've... um, you know, God has really released me. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, self-compassion and how your amends have been made with your children. And if you could talk a little bit about that, you know, we've talked before. So, um, you know, just just thinking about, you know, how some of us have situations which really, uh, you know, still create some pain for us. We you know, I don't want to get into the whole thing, but I think you know where I'm going with it, Marie. So if you could expand on that a little bit—self-compassion, forgiveness for yourself, and how you've dealt with your amends with your children—thank you.
2: Oh, thank you, Sarah. Because that's something I had wanted to talk about today. Um, you know, the, like I said when I was talking, um, my one of the um, my older son took the brunt of my physical abuse and emotional abuse and verbal abuse. I just, um... And he's the one that's out on the street. And uh, he made a decision. We gave him an ultimatum. You need to stop drinking, get a job, or you have to leave. And uh, about two years ago, he uh, made his decision, got up, took his things, and left. And uh, here about a week ago, he called me and says, I don't know if you're going to be hearing from me again. He says, I am now, uh, the, the, I, I, I was taken in a sheriff's bus to L.A. to answer for my warrants, and uh, he says they were dismissed, so I didn't have to spend time in jail. He says, but I'm now living in Los Angeles, Skid Row. And uh, he says, "I I love being drunk." He says, "I love it here. I should have come here in the first place." Now he's the one that has refused to sit down and talk with me when I've tried to make amends,
1: you know. And um, the last time I saw him physically, he yelled
2: at me. He says, "Why couldn't?" Let me back up. He's the one that has refused to talk with me and talk the situation over when I wanted to seriously make amends to him because I had such remorse and such regret. I really wanted to feel some kind of uh, 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 forgiveness, you know, some kind of forgiveness for it, and um, never had reached that point. The second, to last, the last time I saw him physically, he yelled at me. He was in the middle of the street, drunk, and he yelled at me, "Why couldn't you just let me be?" He says, "Why couldn't you just let me drink, smoke my pot, and play my music?" And it dawned on me. God, you sent me an answer. At last, I can let go of this. Because he was 14. I'm his mother. I'm supposed to protect him. I was supposed to protect him. And drinking and pot was not for a boy of 14. you know. And I suddenly felt that feeling... A forgiveness for myself. I did what a mother's supposed to do. I've been blaming myself because he's chosen to be a drunk, because he's chosen to be, live in the streets, you know. I didn't do that. I might have beat him too much. I might have caused him a lot of, a lot of inner pain. But he knows about the program. He got sober at 16 and he stayed sober for four years. He got sober in uh, something like 2000 and stayed sober for seven years. So he knows where the answer is. He
1: chooses to do what he's doing. I hope that answers your question.
0: Thank you, Sarah. Thank you very much. Ginny S.
2: Thank you, Layla. Leia And um, thank you, Marie, so much for your story. And I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about Step 9. Was your father and mother and the uncle that abused you, were they alive when you did Step 9? And can you talk a little bit about Step 9? Okay, yeah, yeah. My step nine. My father got sober and he was sober about eighteen years before he died. And he and I built a beautiful relationship and it was more of a living amends, you know. I didn't I didn't feel my sponsor felt that I didn't need to make amends to him in the, in a because I didn't really resent him. I resented what he did, uh, the uh, the beatings, you know. But uh, what I had to do was mostly have, because I already adored him. I loved this man, you know. I just didn't understand what the beatings were about. And um, anyway, he got very active in AA. And then... We would share because I became uh, in AA. I got uh, the speakers, getting a speaker's job, and he he ran a twelve-step uh, halfway house, and uh, he had a list of speakers who so we would work together, giving each other speakers' names, and it was more of a living type of men's. So we just uh, became program buddies, you know, and i I just adored my father, I don't yeah i do you, you think I hate it. I hate him because of the beatings, you know, and uh uh I never really talked to him about the beatings it's just uh, uh it was just kind of like water over the dam. There's nothing I can do about it now, and your mother and the uncle that abused you my mother. oh my mother, thank you, God, thank you for reminding me, my mother. One afternoon, one Sunday afternoon, she got very ill, she had, like, um, flu symptoms. My husband and I rushed her to the ER, and um, she looked at me, and she said, she looked at me, and she didn't look well, and she says, you know, Marie, I'm going to die. And I said, Mom, cut it out. You're not going to, you know, and uh, I said, you need to get over whatever you've got, and you're going to be fine. we will take you home. And uh, this was on a Sunday. On Monday, she was worse. The doctors came and talked to us, and they said, we're going to have to put her on this machine and that machine. And she had already expressed her wishes that she didn't want to be kept on machines. You know, anyway, uh, Monday night, uh, she was getting worse. And the doctor says, it looks like her systems are shutting off, so let's put her on these, mach- these this, this machine and that machine. Okay, and then uh, I went Monday night. I went home because see, I didn't talk about how I treated her. I used to chase her out of my house. I I used to run her off. I used to test her out and don't you come back over. Used he, So and so, you know, I was also very jealous of her relationship with my son. She adored my my older son. and I was very envious of that. Uh, so. I hated her on two levels, first of all, because she didn't treat me right. And everything I wanted for me, she gave to my son. So anyway, so comes Monday night, come home, and the thought comes, Marie, what if she dies? Do you want to hang on to all this crap you've got? You know? So I went back to the hospital, and she was awake, and I said, Mom... I want to talk to you. I says, I want to tell you how sorry I am for the way I've treated you. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry for yelling at you, for chasing you out of the house, for doing the things I did, for calling you the names I did. And she looked up at me and she said, Honey, you have nothing to be sorry for. He says, you always treated me good, because you always were there every time I needed you. You look at today, uh, I'm here because you brought me. You always take care of me. And if you treated me bad, chances are I had it coming. And those were my amends to her. Would you believe the next morning she died? When I got those amens in. That was a God, God gift. My uncle was dead. Nothing was could be done.
1: At his uh, at the memorial at his home after his death. My aunt, his wife. um, uh, Somehow it came out that he had penetrated his four daughters.
2: And somehow, I thought, because I was already programming, you know, it was like,
1: it wasn't so bad, was it? There were things much worse. And little by little, I overcame those feelings and it, also help that my husband is very
2: understanding and very good for me.
1: Does that answer your question? Yes, thank you.
2: Glad to be doing
1: Thank you,
0: Ginny. Rachel W., Hi good
4: morning um, well first of all i want to thank you for your service for making this meeting happen and I just want to say Marie that it's a, it's just an honor it's an honor to hear you on the line um, I know that the purpose of this program is to go through you know go through the steps and, and give it away and the fact that you your life you know came to this point of of victory over over what happened to you and that you can share it with us and, it could just hit home. It's such a, a message. I want to just thank you, thank you for, for your recovery and for perseverance over the decades. And um, it is just an honor to hear you on the line. Um, I do have questions. Probably, I'm still processing, so I'll probably have to call you. But I also just want to ask you a simple question about um, adult child of alcoholics and dysfunctional families. Adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families. I'm just wondering if you. Ever utilize the a c a rooms um to to comp to complement your your recovery and to keep your abstinence. Thank you very much for
1: everything. What rooms are those obviously I haven't because I haven't heard of them. I'm sorry, I missed that. It's Adult
0: Children of Alcoholics, Marie. No, I've never that. So okay. Them. I've never
4: attended them. Okay, thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Rachel W. Riska A. Yes,
3: thank you. Thank you, Leah and Marie. Um, and to all the listeners out there, um, happy holidays to everyone. Peace and happiness and joy. Marie, uh, thank you for your uh, in-depth experience under the shadows of abuse and addiction and how you have totally, miraculously, uh, had something greater than yourself make that change in your life and that you continue to do so today. Thank you so much for that. Um, I I have a question uh, related to the 10th step. Um, hearing that you have had so much in-depth experience uh, with uh, the big book, Um, and I, too, love the big book, and I'm sponsoring uh, several ladies at the present time. Um, What is your take on persons who call you who want you to listen to their 10th step? However, they are not presently living in steps 10, 11, and 12,
4: They are working in the very beginning
3: stages of the steps, perhaps uh, maybe steps one
0: through three,
4: have not even done four
3: yet, or five. What is your opinion
4: on someone who, having had a relapse
3: previous and started over again with a sponsor, and yet they have that experience with the 10th, and they feel it necessary to Call someone and do a tenth, even though they're not at the tenth. What is your experience on that? Thank you.
2: My experience, and this is very personal, is uh, my uh, AA sponsor started me on the pages to carry step ten, eleven, and twelve, which is eighty-six, eighty-seven, and eighty-eight. I was not. I was. It was like my first day of sobriety. You know. He told me, get a big book, you study it, and you will read pages 86, 87, and 88 every day, okay? So I was barely sober, and that's the pages he started me on. Now it makes sense. After coming to a vision for you, it makes sense, because this is the way we're going to be living for the rest of our lives, you know? But uh personally, it's not up to me to to judge where a person is coming from, you know, what they're doing. If somebody calls me to do a 10-step, I I listen to it, you know. I will take it, and that's all I have to do. That's being right all right? Uh, if I'm not their sponsor, it's none of my business what steps they're in or what steps they're not in. That's how I feel about it personally. Um far as uh the fourth step and uh the eleventh step, when I do my reading and writing, that's my fourth and tenth and will become my eleventh step for the day. I hope that answers your question. Thank you for your question.
3: Thank you so very much.
0: I
2: appreciate that. Happy holiday. Thank you. Happy holiday to you.
0: Thank you, Riska. Anyone else with questions this morning for Marie? Star one time mute.
4: This is Marla. I have a question.
0: Marla, one moment. Anyone else? Dana W. This is Lorraine. Dana W. Lorraine. W. Lorraine W. Anyone else? This will be the final invitation for questions this morning.
1: Okay, I'll take the silence as a no.
0: Marla, go ahead, please.
4: Hi, Marie. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, I came on pretty late. I just have a question. I have a sponsor
3: that just finished
2: her fifth step, and did six and
4: seven um, at home and on her own, and we are getting ready to start working in men's. and um, she just shared with me that uh, yesterday at the end of her family holiday, uh, she uh, ended up
2: flipping and eating some uh, cookies on the side
4: when everyone else was gone. So I guess I'm kind of at a loss of where... I need to go with her now. Do I start her all the way back at step one again or do we just wait a couple of days and let the food allergy
2: symptoms pass? Or what would you suggest? Well, she's, uh, I would say that a person that has slipped is certainly at step one, you know. And uh, I think your fourth step has a lot to do with it. Something is wrong. Something's got to change. Something is wrong. Something, there's something that you're holding on to something. You know, if, you know, our slate has to be clean. Mm -hmm. Because if we're still into the food, there's something, there's something we're hanging on to, there's something we're not looking at. Because I learned for myself that what, that my, that my defects of character, my resentments, those are all the underlying causes of my overeating. That's why
1: I, I said, you know, I'm the one, I'm the culprit. Uh uh-huh. She had a really
2: powerful sense of experience and. Uh, Felt very, very free afterwards.
4: In fact, all of the, you know, questions or the things it says after we, uh, she experienced all that, and I, I thought that it really, um, that she had gotten a lot out of it and felt very free afterwards. That's why I was really surprised when she, went ahead and slipped and ate the cookies.
2: (laughs) So, Uh, well, yeah, that happens. That happens, yeah. you know. I I was uh, I was absent seven years in a way, had lost a good amount of weight, but everything was going smooth. Um, got uh, drunk to the drunk of all uh, drunks, you know, and uh, wound up in AA. And uh, they tell me there, you know, you have to have sugar.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, the, the nice uh, the the musical words for an, a compulsive overeater you know Correct. there goes my absence, you know
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, years later to the tune of uh, 250 pounds you know I uh, have a stroke you know so I forgot to talk about that but anyway so know, if I
4: take her back to one again we'll we need to
2: do uh, another... That's for you and
1: your Pardon?
2: If we go all the way back to step
4: one again, will she need yeah, to do I another would. whole step, fourth step again since we just did it literally like a week and a half ago? Yeah.
2: It, 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 uh, it may, uh, she, she may be a step four, you know, five. Something, something, something is not being uncovered
3: okay okay thank you have a
0: great holiday you too thank you marla dana w your turn
3: hi thank you leah uh, for your service excuse me um hi marie this is dana w um hi thank you (laughs) hi thank you so much um for your sharing today, and I'm going to definitely be calling you. Um, Let's see. Um, I got recovered um, January 1st is my date of abstinence. Uh, I've lost 64 pounds, Uh, has not been a struggle at all. Um, And the past few months after surgery, I have hit a plateau. Um, and God has been dealing with my heart telling me that to go further, cause you know, I'm only, I'm five, seven medium frame. You know, I'm thinking at least I need to get down to one fifty. you know, that's kind of my goal to begin with. Um, and so, um, I know that I need to continue. Um, and what happened was he dealt with me about talking to my mother, um, confronting her in love about the abuse that my mother uh the physical abuse you know I haven't been molested but my mother did abuse me from as far back as I can remember um locked me in my room and uh I'm not going to go into detail about all of it but uh anyway the question is well once I talked with her the other day um God has been refining my meal plan, and He opened the doors and I've now got a uh, a dietitian, a registered local dietitian that's in o a Have you found that when um you go deeper you've got you went deeper in God to get past a plateau um and then you obeyed him, that he just gave you all these jewels at one time i mean it's almost as if the doors of blessings have just flooded open have you found that um you know i guess i have several questions but the one would be you know have you found that you you hit a plateau um and then you had to go deeper and uh and that had to do with maybe confronting one of your abusers and uh and then the result of god blessing you afterwards
2: Thank you for your question. Yeah, I find I have found that if I don't continue seeking spiritual growth, I do get complacent. My faith gets stagnant, and I do hit that plateau. That is always that fork in the road. That says one says food, the other one says recovery. You know, uh, I choose recovery. So I've got you. I keep going toward spiritual growth. For me, it's, it's constantly seeking to keep that conscious contact with God intact. Keeping it intact. You know, during the day, I pause often. I have a secret little world of my own. It's inside my heart. I can stop anywhere. Take a seat, you know, mm-hmm. talk to God. Sometimes I pray, but mostly I just stop, talk, tell him what's in my heart. You know, I can go to that secret little place, and he's there. You know, and that works miracles for me. It's about is spiritual growth for me. Seeking, wow. seeking, speaking. No saints, I'm no saints, but that's what I work for.
3: Thank you so much. That was awesome, and I wrote it down, and I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you
2: for your question.
3: Thank you, Dana W.
0: And our final question this morning comes from Lorraine W.
5: Good morning, Marie. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. First of all, happy holiday to you and thank you for your service and sharing your experience, strength, and hope. My question is this. Having been having the history that you lived in California and I do believe I heard you heard about Overeaters Anonymous in the late 60s, I considered you like a real, don't get me wrong, I don't want to sound negative, but an old timer, but I appreciate that. But had OA been called something else because I related to you saying that you found out about it from another 12-step program because the way I heard about OA was through a relative who said
3: there was a program
5: for you fat folks called Gluttons Anonymous. And I wanted—I wasn't real keen about going to something that sounded like that—and I didn't go for two years. But how quickly did you? But like who told you? How quickly did you go to the O your first O A meeting? Expound on that, and I'm going to shut up.
2: Well, I was told at, at, at an Al-Anon meeting. Um, by somebody I liked very much, and uh, another lady that uh, was a friend, or I considered a friend, and she told me about it, and she was going through it, and uh, she told me when the next meeting was, and I went to the next meeting, you know, because it was always part of my uh, agenda, if you will, uh, to to lose weight. That was always on my mind. Because if I lost weight, everything would be perfect, you know, and uh, so I went to my very first meeting you know i uh, i like i said it was in uh, uh, nineteen sixty seven if I'm not mistaken, it was in August, you know it was somewhere in Van Nuys in the san Bernardino valley and uh, uh and i i mean I heard. Everybody said compulsive eating. I heard people talking about the way I ate. And uh, I said, this is
1: it. You know? So I knew I was home. Thank you for your question. Thank you very much, Lorraine
0: W. Thanks to everybody who asked questions this morning. And, of course... Thank you so much, Marie, for your service this morning, telling your story of recovery.
2: Well, thank you, Leah, for the privilege of sharing. Okay?
5: And thank you. you to everybody.
0: Thank you. We're going to close now from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us.